We're going through the book of Leviticus. We've been through chapters 1 through 7 in the first part. Yesterday, last week, we did chapter 8. This week, we're getting into chapter 9. So a quick review. You have this former group of slaves who have been liberated. They've been given a new freedom. And now this new freedom raises a whole bunch of questions. Like, who will they be? What kind of people will they become? Because uh, uh, how will they begin to order the world? Because in the old order that they were familiar with in Egypt, they are slaves. Uh, some people can own other people, and apparently those gods in Egypt are okay with it. But now this god, this god is not okay with it. And he like upsets that order. He t- turns that order on its head. And he says, we're going to set you free. We're going to bring you into this wilderness. And so now... They, in their freedom, what are they going to do? How are they going to organize the world? How are they going to bring order and structure to their people? The good news is that we've seen that God has a plan for the whole thing. And his plan starts with the specific place, the space, the set-aside space called the tabernacle, called uh, the tent of meeting. And he gives them these rituals. He says, here's these rituals, and these rituals teach us how to uh, express joy and gratitude and thankfulness. And then there's these other set of specific rituals, which are about like making relationships right between each other, which are about making relationships right between us and God, right? And this is a huge like component of understanding uh, the nature of who God is because in this ordering, in this world, what God is revealing about himself is that anyone can come into the presence of this God and know where they stand with him. This is a big moment in, in how people in the ancient Near East would have understood the gods because this God was not distant and removed like the other gods were. This God was up close and personal and you could know where you stand with them. This is kind of a big deal. So they, how will they take this freedom and bring about a new kind of order? The answer then, as we move forward into chapter 9, chapter 8 and 9, becomes the priest. The priest is like the one that's going to be a part of this. God takes this guy Aaron and his sons and he sets them apart and they're going to be the ones who teach everyone else what this whole thing is all about, what it's going to look like, right? The priest will work and they will operate in this designated space. They will carry out, the, do you see that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's cool. They will ca- pay attention to me. Um, they will carry out the rituals. They, they will be the ones that show everybody else how to do the things through their actions. They will speak to the people what this God is like and what the world can be like. So the role of the priest then, in, in its most simple and basic form, the role of the priest is the one who shows you how to do things. The role of the priest is the one who shows you how to do things. If you've ever played a new game before, maybe it's a card game, maybe it's a board game, Right? The easiest way to learn the game is to have somebody teach you. Right? You could go through all the rules and listen to all this, but the easiest way to learn the game is to have somebody go, oh, you do this, and you pick up this card then, and you roll the dice at that point, and, and walk you through the motions of the game. Right? You understand this. So in that moment, the person that's explaining the game then becomes like, adopts, steps into this priestly sort of role. Um, or it's like uh, making tacos in space. If I said to you, hey, how would you make tacos in space? You'd be like, I assume it's pretty similar to making tacos on earth, if it's even possible. But maybe there's like a new way we have to approach making a taco because it's in space. And if we had somebody, if it is possible, could they show us how to make 
tacos in space, what would that even look like? We need somebody to teach us because our knowledge about making tacos in space is fairly limited because we are these earthbound, earthling type people. Maybe we would need somebody like this. All kinds of stuff that you didn't know you'd have to worry about. Floating, beans dripping around. Also, you know what you don't need in space? A plate. Because it just, it's fascinating to me. It's so silly, but yet so incredibly fascinating. I thought making dinner for three kids was tough. All right, that's enough talkers in space. I think we get the point. So she carries on. Uh, man, we, I came across this video like a long, long time ago, and I've just been like waiting, like, where can I use the talkers in space video? Hmm, Leviticus seems appropriate. Um, I showed my kids this video because I was like, re I was like, I kind of connected the dots this past week or two weeks ago. And I showed my kids this video. I'm like, you guys got to see this. And then we had this whole discussion about how you don't need plates in space and how come and stuff. And then we watched a whole bunch of other videos about, you know, doing this, that, and the other thing in space. Here's how to wash your hair in space. It was a great thing. So I I've been holding this on for a long time. But, but you look at this, you're like, oh, okay, that's a, like a weird thought. But what does the priest do? The priest is the one who shows you how to do things. For us, operating in space is a foreign concept. We need somebody to show us how to do this particular thing. The priest is the one who opens your eyes to a new way of doing things, a new way to operate, a new way to function, a new way to order the world. So when we look at chapter 8, there's this group of guys. Uh, they're ordained, they're set aside. And then you have chapter nine and the priests begin to carry out the commands that were given to them in chapters one through seven, right? So by the way, did you realize that we just connected this ancient Near East priest from thousands of years ago with people floating in an international space station in space making tacos? I mean, like you talk about a gap between two different worlds, right? Like, anyways, I thought it was funny. Chapter nine, let's look at this. Chapter nine. On the eighth day, Moses summoned Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. He said to, to Aaron, take a bull calf for your sin offering and a ram for your burnt offerings, both without defect. Hopefully that should raise a flag. You should remember from uh, the first part when we talked about what that means without defect and the connection between the human and the person uh, and, and the animal. Present them before the Lord. They say to the Israelites, take a male goat for a sin offering and a calf and a lamb, both a year old without defect for a burnt offering, an ox and a ram for a fellowship offering and sacrifice it, uh, sacrifice before the Lord. Together with a grain offering mixed with olive oil, for today the Lord will appear to you. So at the end of chapter 8, you have these priests. They've been set aside, they've been ordained, and they're sitting at the temple, entrance of the temple, and you remember they wait for seven days. And then chapter 9 begins with what? On the eighth day. 
So they're waiting for seven days, and then you have the eighth day. Now, we need to pause here for one hot second, because that little line, that little line that we would probably just brush over is actually really telling. It's actually really important uh, and, and carries a good bit of significance. Last week, we talked about the importance of, of seven and what that means. And this number seven speaks to like completeness. It speaks to wholeness. Seven is, is, a tie, is a callback, is a tieback to, to like the seven days of creation in which God was bringing order to the world. So if seven days speak to completeness and wholeness and there's seven, the first seven days are about the story of creation, then what might the eighth day be? Well, the eighth day would then be like the first day of the second week of creation. The eighth day is the first day of a brand new week. The eighth day is the first day of the second week of creation. On the eighth day, God summons Aaron, and he's like, uh, this is like, would have been like this, this like neon flashing light saying like, hey, this is the beginning of something new. This is the start of a whole new thing, the start of a whole new creation. The first creation has been, has been complete, and now it's the first day of a whole new thing. Like it's Monday, but it's a whole new kind of Monday. So what's happening with Moses and Aaron and these priests is all about this new creation. We don't have to live in the old order of things, in the old order where we were slaves and we could do nothing about it. This is the start of something brand new. We can bring about a whole new way to live and move and breathe in the world based on what this God is teaching us. I mean, to me, this is fascinating. This is incredible. And by the way, this isn't the only place you see this happening. This is found all throughout the scripture. Another big place that you see is this guy named Jesus. You may have heard of him. In the book of John, John, if you go through that text, he begins to label, his, he labels and numbers the miracles of Jesus. This is the first sign. And what you see, he doesn't label, number all of them, but he does several of them. There's like, if you go through the course of the book of John, there's seven major signs over the course of the book and then there's this one other one, like the eighth sign. And the eighth sign is what we call the resurrection. And John, in John chapter 20, uh, the very beginning of the book, uh, chapter, described, he starts talking about the resurrection by saying this. He says, early on the first day of the week. So the eighth sign, the, that is the resurrection, the eighth sign, the resurrection, begins is the first day of the new week because they connect it to eight. Seven connects us to creation. So eight is the beginning of something brand new. So this idea here in Leviticus, the eighth day, this is all about we're stepping into something brand new. Right? Have you ever looked at your life, looked at our world, watched the news and just had the thought, man, wish we could just kind of start over. Ah, man, it'd really be nice if we just have a clean slate I really hope tomorrow is going to be better, right? This is the thought, and that's the beauty of what's happening through all this, this insistence over there's something new that is happening. It's the eighth day. It's the eighth sign. It's the first day of a new creation. There's something entirely new beginning to happen in this time and in this place with this group of people in this tabernacle that speaks to a new way to order the world. It's fascinating. Verse 5. 
They took the things that Moses commanded to the front of the tent of meeting, and, and the entire assembly came near, and they stood before the Lord. Then Moses said, this is what the Lord commanded you to do, so that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. Now remember, Exodus starts with the absence of God. And it ends with the presence of God amongst the people. And here we see this idea that when you do these things, God commands this. And when you do the things that God commands, then we see that uh, the divine will be present with you in this space. This is another huge idea. How do we order the world in such a way that the divine, that the presence of God is with us all the time? In which heaven and earth become one. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How do we make our lives and our world uh, more and more a place where we are aware of the presence of God at every moment in every day? Like that's the, the heartbeat of this section. How do we in our modern world in all of our, with all of our technology, all of our distractions, all of our overly busy schedules, all the places we have to be, all the things we have to do, how do we live our lives in such a way that we don't take for granted our lives, our families, our friends, the very breath that we have been given? How do we live in the midst of the chaos of this life in such a way that we recognize and are aware of and value the presence of God in every aspect of every day. You see, this is an ancient book, but it's still raising very modern issues. Verse 7, <clears throat> Moses said to Aaron, come to the altar and sacrifice your sin offering and your burnt offering and make atonement for yourself and the people. Sacrifice the offering that is for the people and make atonement for them as the Lord commanded. And so Moses is like, hey, get on with it here. Skip ahead to chapter, uh, verse 16. He brought the burnt offering and offered it in the prescribed way. He also brought the grain offering, took a handful of it and burnt it on the altar in addition to the morning's burnt offering. So he's told what to do and then he does it. Verse 18 he slaughtered the ox and the ram as the fellowship offering for the people. His sons handed him the blood and he splashed it against the sides of the altar. Remember, the fellowship offering is about peace. It's about peace between us and God. Um, verse 22, then Aaron lifted his hands towards the people and he blessed them. And having sacrificed the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the fellowship offering, he stepped down. So remember, this guy Aaron, he's just a normal guy. Now he's been ordained, and he spent seven days at the front of the tent of meeting, and now you have him lifting his hands to bless the people. Like, who does this guy think he is, by the way? Like, you were nobody last week, probably only got the job because, you know, Moses is your brother. You know, it's just about, it's all about who you know, not what you know sort of thing situation. Like, so now you think you're powerful enough or something that you now can, you know, consult the divine and then speak blessings over us? you think you're better than us? No. No, not at all. And that's actually the beauty of the whole thing. And we'll talk about next week, we'll talk about how the ordinary, uh, the insignificant is actually vastly significant. Right? You may even know a guy who occasionally raises his hand and say things like, may God be working in you. May God be working through you. Who does he think he is? He thinks he's better than us? No, 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 no. Again, that's the beauty of the whole thing. There's something about how this God operates, and it's vastly different. And you don't have to be super smart, obviously. <clears throat> Verse 23, Moses and Aaron 
then went into the tent of the meeting. When they came out, they blessed the people, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar. This is like God's sign of approval. Uh, when all the people saw it, they shouted for joy, and they fell face down. Fire came out from the presence of the Lord, consumed the burnt offering, and when the people saw it, they shouted for joy and fell down. What we see is this progression through this story. It starts with gather the people in front of the tent of meeting because I'm going to do something with this group of guys. Remember, that's chapter 8. And whatever I'm going to do with these guys is important enough that you need to be here because whatever I'm going to do for them actually is going to affect all of you. And then we see these people get, these, these men, get, they get designated. The space gets designated, gets set aside for these purposes. And then we have them gathering again. He's like, listen, when you go through this stuff, when you do this thing, when you do what I'm asking you to do, then you will see and experience the divine. And so the people, they go through this process. They do the things that God has commanded. And then the divine shows up. The Lord appears to them, and their response is joy. The response is joy, and then they fall face down. It's a really, really interesting story. Because if you begin to track the, the story from Exodus through Leviticus chapter 9 here, you have this people group who, were, uh, who, who went from being slaves in a foreign land to now they're living on their own uh, in the wilderness, in the desert with this God. They went from the absence of God to the presence of God so close that the divine is now so present that they are literally shouting for joy at his presence and falling down before him, bowing down before him. Now there's this little line that we kind of like maybe gloss over here in these last two verses. This little phrase, that gets used twice in the last two verses. It's really interesting. Um, let's look at this again. We'll highlight these, these things, this, this phrase. Uh, all the people. Moses and Aaron uh, then went into the tent of meeting. When they came out, they blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar. And when... All the people saw it. They shouted for joy and they fell face down. So who does this God allow into his presence? All the people. Who does this God make himself known to? All the people. Who does this God invite to interact with himself? All the people. It's not just the priest. It's not just the holier than thou's. It's not just the powerful, the wealthy, the rich, the, all the people. Everyone is in the presence of this God. This is a story about a new kind of tribe and a new kind of people who are being shown that there is a whole new way, a whole different way to structure and order the world. This is a God that is not distant and removed like the other gods that they would have heard about in Egypt. This is a God that comes near to everyone and everyone can be in the presence of this God. I mean, even when you go back to like, if you were here for part one of, of Vaikra and we talked about the sacrifices and how there was like this sliding scale that when God says, hey, come and express joy and gratitude and all this stuff, like it, it's all on this sliding scale. If you're wealthy enough to afford a bull because a bull is an expensive item, then you should offer, you should sacrifice a bull. But if you can't afford to bring a bull, you know, if you're not quite that wealthy, maybe, maybe you can bring a goat. But if you can't afford a goat, then, then you could bring a bird because everyone can afford a bird. 
Like, there's so, it, it's not about, you know, some people are allowed and some people aren't. This is about, like, the sliding scale, which allows everyone to come into the presence of God to experience and express joy and gratitude and thankfulness to him. And then here you have this, another picture of this God insisting that access to him will never be limited. All the people experience the presence of the divine. You know what's incredible about this is that like time after time after time, what you see through the narrative of the Bible is that the story is always getting bigger. The story is always expanding. It's always getting wider. What you see is that the story expands. More and more people are invited into this whole thing. If you go back and you follow the narrative of the Bible and you go back to like Abraham, right? You have Abraham and his son Isaac and Isaac has a son Jacob and Esau and then Jacob has these 12 sons uh, that then go on to be the 12 tribes. So it starts like here and then it begins, moves to these 12 tribes. These 12 sons who become the 12 tribes. And these 12 tribes become the entire nation of Israel, this entire people group. And then by the time you get to Jesus, Jesus shows up and he's like, yeah, but yeah, but it's not like limited to only to your people group. We're actually going to expand it even further to the Gentiles. The Gentiles, which is like everybody else, like every tribe, tongue, and nation. The story just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And more and more people are being invited into it. And so when you look at some of this stuff, yeah, it can seem a bit primitive it can see a bit weird, seem a bit weird. There's lots of blood and guts and slaughtering of animals. By the way, all of which we are not a part of anymore. Like we don't do that because the story has gotten bigger. The story has expanded. And as the story expands, it moves forward. And as the story moves forward, there are certain things that are getting left behind. There are certain ideas, certain rituals, certain beliefs about who's in and who's out and who's allowed to be in that will go extinct because the story always moves forward. The story reflects a people group living thousands of years ago and what the world was like. And when you take a moment to get behind this, to get beneath this, to get uh, past the practice of the day, what you see is that at the heart of this story, the heart of this story isn't about limiting and confining and constricting things. The heart of this story is about wonder and awe and peace and joy this is an incredibly inclusive story. This thing keeps getting bigger, more and more people. Chapter 9 ends with everyone being in the presence of the divine. This is an incredible story of average, ordinary people who are experiencing the presence of God and being invited into a heightened sense of what it means to live and be with purpose in this life, in this world. Now, are you beginning to see like how great this stuff actually is, the stuff that we gloss over or skip through or we don't want to? And then what's even cooler is when you begin to make all these connections back into the New Testament, the time you get to Jesus, we get into the book of Hebrews and Jesus gets talked about over and over again as the high priest. Watch Hebrews chapter 6. We have this hope for, uh, as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inter-sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So we have this Jesus, okay, who was resurrected from the grave on the eighth day, the first day of the week, the first day of this new week of creation, who gets then described as the high priest the priest who is the one who teaches us how to do things. The priest who is the one who teaches us how to make tacos in space. 
who opens our eyes to a new way to order the world. And he shows up and he begins to teach things like all of the laws fulfilled in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. He tells stories like um, about how everyone is welcomed at the great banquet. He says things like, go into all the world to make disciples. So the story continues to expand and get bigger and bigger and deeper and wider, even to the point when you get to the end of the Bible, you get to the end of the story, in the book of Revelation, John is given this glimpse into eternity, this glimpse into heaven, and he, and he, he gives us some insight here. I want you to watch like at the end of the story what happens. This is Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. <clears throat> and they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from where? Every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priest to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. So who's there? Who's there? People from every tribe, people from every language, people from every nation, this whole thing is in a continual state of expansion. And what do they become? They become priests. And where do they operate? On the earth. So remember, everything about the priest is connected to everything about the tabernacle. And everything about the tabernacle is connected to everything about like is a reflection of all of creation. So the priest operating in a tabernacle is a reflection of the thing that's happening at the beginning of the story, that is Adam and Eve operating in the garden. It's this like microcosm of what's happening at the very beginning of the story. And then you have the priest operating in the temple, right, which is the, kind of the same picture that it keeps referencing back to. And then if you carry that whole thing out, like where is this story going, you get to the very end of the book, and what you have is people from every tribe, tongue, and nation who are becoming the priests and carrying out their role on the earth. And the presence of God is being experienced in this sacred holy space called the earth by all the people. Whoa. Whoa. It's almost like this whole thing was like divinely inspired. The whole earth is the temple, and all the people are invited into this priestly role to experience the presence in all things, the presence of God by how we live and move and operate in the world. Maybe the question for us today is like, what kind of priest will you be? Or maybe a better question is, as a priest, what kind of message are people learning from you? Because what does the priest do? The priest puts the divine on display. You want to know what the God that the priests serve is like? Then you just watch how the priest operates in the world that he lives in. So what are people learning about the God you serve through you? Through what you say? What are they learning about God through how you behave? What are they learning about God through what you post on social media? What are they learning about God through the jokes you tell? What are they learning about God through how you vote? What are they learning about God through how you sit in rush hour traffic? 
Are you a priest who is working to help bring about a new order, an order that stands for love, for peace, for equality, for building others up, about building a new order that's about bringing goodness and beauty to the world? Or are you a priest who is worried about protecting and promoting the old order of things? A priest that is working to draw lines in the sand about who's in and who's out. Are you a priest whose primary concern is what's wrong with everybody else? Are you a priest that is more concerned with how right you are than how well you love? Again, are you starting to see how all this is connected? How all this aged stuff from thousands of years ago in a different world and different context is still deeply connected to the here and now. And again, you have Jesus who steps into the middle of it as the high priest, the one who will show us the way, the one who's here to teach us a new way to live. He teaches us what it can look like. He teaches us what is possible. It doesn't have to be this way. There's a whole different way that you can live and be and experience the world. I came, in fact, so that you may have life and have it to the fullest. You can experience the fullness of life, uh, the, uh, the fullness of humanity. You can experience and be a part of a whole new order to the world in this life. You can live with a deep Deep connection to this God who is over all and through all and in all. You can live with a, with a sense of self and wholeness through this Christ. You can live with a deep sense of community, with the fellowship of believers. You can step more fully into the role of stewardship that you have been called to and how you guide and shape the creation that God has handed us. That's what Jesus has come to teach. The priest is a picture of the way that things could be, the way things should be. The priest then for us becomes a beacon of hope. That's what we have been called to. And that's what we have in Jesus, the beacon of hope that says there is a better way. That's what we get to celebrate each and every Sunday. We get to participate in this meal that reminds us of a better way. That reminds us that because of God's love, he has given himself to us to become one of us, to lead us in this new exodus, to lead us away from any of the Egypts that we have been trapped in. There is, a, there is freedom that you are invited into. There is a whole new way to order the world. You don't have to stay trapped in that Egypt. You can step out. You can experience something new. You, don't, you are no longer slave to sin and death. You can experience freedom and life and grace and forgiveness through him. And that's what we get to celebrate each and every week. What a beautiful thing to be a part of. We've got these stations on the side. Uh, we've got a gluten-free option in the back. If you cannot get up, raise your hand and somebody will come to you. This is where we take a moment to be reminded of the body and the blood of Jesus. To remind us of the, the thing, the sacrifice that was made on our behalf. To remind us that the goal of all of this, this all, all of this, the goal of the whole thing <clears throat> is that the presence of God would be experienced by all the people. For God so loved the world that whoever, anyone, anyone that says yes to Jesus can have everlasting life. Whoever. Isn't that the goal? Sometimes I think we forget that. Sometimes I think we forget the goal is all the people. God has called all of us, all of his children home Come home, come home. That's what repentance is. Repentance is come back to the place where you are the most whole. Come back to the place where you can experience what it means to be the kind of human being I created you to be. 
So in this moment, we take this bread, we take this juice that connects us to the body and the blood of Jesus, and we say, yes, Lord, we thank you. Yes, God, we have messed up. Yes, God, we occasionally make a giant mess of things. But we know that through you and through your son, we have been forgiven. We know that through you and through your son, not only have we been forgiven, but you are teaching us a brand new way to live. Things don't have to be like they are. They can be better. It's the eighth day. It's the beginning of a whole new creation. It's a Monday, but it's a whole new kind of Monday. Jesus is the high priest. He is our beacon of hope.